don't have my clicker. So sorry. Thanks, Emma. Um, so we started a thank you. Um, we started a new sermon series last week on Galatians, and I really want to encourage folks, um, if you get a chance, um, to go online, listen to Mark's sermon with the introduction. Um, it is well worth a, a listen, um, and um, I was quite moved by it um, in reminding us that it is God's initiative that comes to interrupt rules with grace. Um, that, that for us, um, sometimes we could be so focused on um, our own separateness to keep our own selves pure and our own comfort um, that it actually keeps us from not um, communicating God's love and grace. A huge focus of the book of Galatians is about whether or not Gentiles who are uncircumcised um, can be part of the way. Um, the way was what they called the early Christians. And Paul comes in hot. He says, I'm writing with the large letters. He's like, I'm screaming at you with all caps. Because he believes that the good news of Jesus is that we are saved by grace, not by works. It's not about keeping the 613 laws of the Torah, but we are freed people. And to not ever be re-enslaved again by these old laws, but we're invited to a new way, a new community, to be new creations with new hearts of flesh. Amen? So just a, a brief overview of Galatians. Oh, I didn't turn it on. That would help. There we go. Is, um, so it's six chapters. The first two is about history. The second two is about theology. And the last two kind of involve ethics or behavior. Um, so when I was growing up in Texas, it was perfectly okay so I was told, um, you can get me on this, Michael, or not, to drive through a yellow light. Right, Jeremy? Yeah, it's perfectly okay. Since I was taller, I was told it's okay. Um, I did it when I was 16. I actually looked it up on the World Wide Web, said it was okay. Then I moved to Oregon. And I remember Mark telling me that I had to stop at a yellow light. I was like, what? This is so weird. Um, something I was told that was okay my, to do my whole entire life, the rules changed. It's like if we were going to play the game red light, green light, and all of a sudden the rules changed. I think I might need some, some kids to maybe act this out. Any kids want to do red light, green light? Or adults? Come on. Okay, I got Mark. Oh, oh, no, and Ezra, come on, son. Oh, there, Ethan. Okay, so go all the way in the back. Go all the way in the back. No, no, no. You go all the way in the back, like everyone else. Okay, so if you're not familiar with this game, just to let you know. Oh, no, Mark said, no, 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 no. That's scary. <laughs> he's going to, like, he's going to, um, you know, Eugene, winter Olympic running kind of thing. Um, okay, so the rules of the game is that when I say red light, everyone has to stop. When I say yellow light, everyone has to walk. 
When I say green light, everyone runs. Ooh, but it's kind of narrow, so be careful. Watch, watch the little ones. Um, and the goal of the game is to be able to tag the collar or to, to come to the collar. Um, and in this case, let's say, is to get a big hug. <laughs> oh, Noah. Um, from, from the collar. Okay, so here we go. Ready? Green light. Yellow light. You guys all stop. Red light. Green light. Yellow light. Red light. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I said red light. Wrong one. Green light. Okay. Now go back. Go back. Run, 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 run. Go run all the way to the back. Okay. Now the goal is still the same. It's to get a hug from the collar. The rules changed. Every color is now run. Are you ready? When I say red light, you can run. When I say yellow light, you can run. When I say green light, you can run. Are you ready? Green light. Red light! Oh. <laughs> okay, all right, go on back. Okay. We're done. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. So, if we played that game with the original rules 613 times, 613 times, do you think that it would be a little bit harder for them to, to run when I say red light, right? So for the Jews who had been following the rules for so long, the rules changed, and Jesus changed them. It wasn't about keeping the 613 laws, but it was faith in Jesus that saved you from your sins and allowed you to have a relationship with God and to be in fellowship with each other. No human election or power of some head executive order or some gathering where we all vote and make a decision. God changed the rules. But the goal was always the same. Everybody was trying to run and get a hug from the collar. It would be really hard to not stop when someone said red light. It had been so ingrained. We've been told it was okay, but we couldn't help but to stop and think it was a little wrong. And sometimes, with these rules, sometimes we might even judge people who we think are running on red. We might even honk or give a dirty look, maybe even say mean words to someone who's driving on a yellow light. <clears throat> Not that that's happened to me in Oregon. <laughs> maybe they just didn't know that the rules had changed. Maybe they do it because it's just hard to change patterns that are so ingrained in our way of thinking. 
So before we get to the Galatians text, um, it's helpful that we understand a little historical context. Peter had gotten a revelation from God about eating with Gentiles in Acts 10 and 11. There's this whole vision sequence where it happens three times. It involves a sheet with hooved animals, reptiles, birds that were considered to be unclean, one of the rules. Um, and it comes down from four corners, down from heaven, and the voice says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's taken aback. He's like, yo, those are unclean, and I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. But the voice speaks again and says, don't call something unclean if God made it clean. It's like telling a Hindu person to eat a sacred cow. It's like telling, telling us it's okay to eat raw chicken. Don't do that. That's just not okay. Um, it's like, I've been told to do this thing my whole life, and now you're telling me it's okay. This is so weird. Red means stop. Green means? Right. Peter was obedient, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he met Cornelius, who was a Gentile. P Peter tells them, he says, you know, it's against my laws for a Jewish man to enter into a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. God has shown me I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent me here. So Cornelius and his close friends and family all come here, and Peter testifies about Jesus' death and resurrection and the access to receive forgiveness of sins. And while Peter starts talking, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles, and they even begin to speak in tongues. They begin praising God. And Peter says, I know now God doesn't show favoritism between Jew and Gentile, and he baptizes them. Peter has this amazing experience, right? Like a like world-altering experience. And he gets back, and he gets a ton of criticism from the Jewish Christian leaders and the apostles. They say, you entered the home of Gentiles, and you even ate with them. Peter explains, hey, there was a sheet of animals, and then there was this voice, and it happened three times. And then Peter says this. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as, as he had come on us in the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord said. John baptized him with water. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I would stand in the way of God? Who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Peter had this significant experience with God, self, and other. It was evident that God was saying it was permissible to fellowship at the table with Gentiles and people that we thought were unclean. Peter is also notoriously our um, passionate, get-it-forget-it, fear of the crowd, oh no, I don't know that guy, Jesus, person in the Bible. <laughs> so we'll see kind of how Peter continues um, on this journey later in the text. 
So I'm going to get into the Galatians text. That's a little bit of our historical background. We're going to get into the Galatians text. It's a big chunk, so I'm going to kind of zoom through a couple things, and then we're going to, we're going to hone in on a couple other parts. So Galatians 1, starting in verse 11 and 12, Paul begins to defend his apostleship. He's basically saying the gospel he preaches doesn't come from no human reasoning, no human source, no human teaching. It's straight up Jesus. The next two verses, he begins to share what he was like before he, became, he came to know Jesus. He said, man, I was persecuting the church. I was destroying them. I was successful. I was competitive. I was zealous for all the traditions of my ancestors. I was all about the old school. And then the next two, he begins to share his calling. He says, I was chosen. I was called. God was pleased to reveal Jesus to me. And he sent me to proclaim good news to the Gentiles. So Paul, straight up from Jesus, got this message, violently hardcore, persecuting Christians, old school zealous about the tradition, called and chosen to proclaim Jesus to the Gentiles. And in a minute way, I relate to Paul. Anyone else? In middle school, I was uh, the club middle school bear cub mascot. Go bear cubs. I got the coveted space, the cheerleading squad without having to do gymnastics. Our cheerleaders in our school, unlike um, the, the norm, um, were all Christian goody-goody two-shoes. I was a little bit more in the party crowd. And I had found out that they had been gossiping about me and my partying. I remember I took my lavender precious moments Bible to school. And I sat down with them and I pointed out the scriptures about not judging people. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> we can unpack that for a long time. Um, I feel like Paul in that way. I feel like I'm sure if I met with them today or if I heard them talking in the last 25 years, they'd say, what? Stephanie on? That Stephanie on? She's a pastor? <laughs> Our worst versions of ourselves humbly remind us of the marvelous grace of God. For Paul, it is the reminder of God's marvelous grace to save a violent, destructive man that he couldn't help but want to extend marvelous grace to those who are farthest from God. One commentator says this, For Paul, all humans are equal in the eyes of God, equal in the disgrace of sin, and also equal in their need for grace, meaning that the human pecking orders often need to be deconstructed or relativized in the light of the gospel. Grace breaks the cycle of the endless honor challenges or cycles of competition to gain more face than your neighbor, to protect one's own and one's family honor, Grace is the great equalizer, which relativizes 
the importance of all na natural basis for human, establishing human hierarchies, whether they're based on race, gender, social status, wealth, sexuality, or any other factors. Paul carefully tries to tear down and do away with societal values that he sees are at odds with the gospel. Three years after Paul's conversion, he goes to Jerusalem. He gets to know Peter a little better. He says, hey, I only hung out with him and only James, Jesus' half-brother. That's it. And then he writes this, and he's like, I declare to you before God what I'm writing to you is not a lie. So, like, Paul is, like, really defending himself, right? He's, like, saying, I am legit. This is legit. This is from God. And the result that happens is that the churches who don't know Paul, they all knew what he says, they all knew what was being said about him. The one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And the scripture says, and they praised God because of me. So now we're getting into chapter two. Now we're getting into the honing into our chunk. Since Paul's conversion, he had been a messenger to the Gentiles for 17 years. Paul goes back to Jerusalem with Barnabas, also known as the son of encouragement, which is such an awesome name, by the way. How many people, like, we should name more of our kids Barnabas. Um, and then Titus, who was like his little brother, right? And so Paul privately meets with the leaders. He tells them that God's revealed to him to preach to the Gentiles. And Paul wanted to make sure that they were cool with it. And the scripture says, he says, I came out of fear that all my efforts had been wasted, and I was running the race for nothing. 17 years he's been doing this. And now he's like, oh, maybe I should just, like, check in. Um, and this is what the scripture says. says. So he goes to all the leaders in Jerusalem. This is kind of the Jerusalem council. And it says that they supported me. They did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, even though he was a Gentile. So if we go back and we say, what makes a Jew a Jew? So if you look back at the whole overarching thing of scripture, so first it was kind of, you kind of were born into it. Um, if you were an Israelite, it was kind of like an ethnic um, piece of it. Um, but then God was saying, no, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all the nations. So the goal, that's not like a new Jesus thing. The goal from the very beginning was that all the nations would have the blessing and know God, right? So there was kind of that Israel ethnic piece. And then the Torah comes in, right? Um, 316 laws. And it's like, keep yourself pure, keep yourself pure, right? And so those were the other things. If you do these things, then you're a Jew. Um, and then the last one was circumcision. And this is really interesting. So the thing about circumcision is if you look up at the, the strictest or the lenientest Pharisees, both would agree that circumcision was essential to being acceptable to God and being in the fellowship of believers, right? So circumcision was like a big, big deal. And then Jesus comes, and what makes a Christian a Christian? Boom, believe in Jesus. It's a lot more simple, right? So at this Jerusalem council, there's false believers who secretly are brought in as spies. They're like, oh, whoa, something's going down here. 
And, and Paul says that they were brought in do I have this? to take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. The truth of the gospel message is that we are saved by grace and that anyone who has breath is welcome to come to the table. Amen? So Paul's like, okay, let me check just one more time. And he goes up and he goes to the big three, James, Peter, and John, the pillars of the church, and they recognize the gift that God's given him. They accept Barnabas and him as peers. The church leaders see that Paul has been given the responsibility to preach the gospel of the Gentiles. Peter's going to the Jews. God was work at both of them. And, and, and we know that, hey, not everyone can be about everything and everyone. We all have unique gifting and callings. But they just encouraged him one thing. He says, hey, one thing. Make sure that you don't neglect the poor. Keep helping the poor. And Paul says, it was a thing I was eager to do. So Paul is making sure in his 17 years of ministry to the Gentiles that he hasn't been in vain. He kicks it with Peter and James, the half-brother in Jesus, check. He checks in with the church leaders in Jerusalem. They don't circumcise his Gentile friend, Titus. Check, check. Then he goes to the big three, James, Peter, John, check, 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 right? He's gone through a lot to make sure that this was okay, um, that Gentiles were able to come even uncircumcised. Paul had been a passionate, legalistic, rule-following religious leader who had been saved by God's radical grace. He could not help but to share the good news. I feel like, in a lot of ways with Paul, um, I spent most of my, my life before I became a Christian um, just wanting, wanting so bad um, to, do things, to do things well, um, and, and in a sense, in a deeper sense, wanting to earn God's love. Um, and y'all, some of you guys are, have heard this before. I, I got to a pinnacle point my freshman year in college. I joined 30 campus organizations. Not, I quickly came to Christ after that year. <laughs> but, but this striving, right? This striving of like, I've got I've to be pretty enough. I've got to be popular. I've got to be successful. I've got to be smart. I've got to get this degree. I've got I've to be pure. I've got to do all these things to earn God's love, right? And then my friend Gail sat down and shared with me about grace. And I was like, what? This is a free gift? I don't have to do diddly squat and God loves me and forgives me? And it was like, honestly, I felt like chains were falling off. I was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And I was like getting people from my, my dorm room. I was like, y'all got to hear this. This is crazy. I mean, it, it is so compelling that, that Paul could not help but to say, man, I cannot help but to go to the farthest of the far because God's saying, hey, this good news, this love is not just for this elite hierarchical group of people. 
It's not for even maybe the the so-so okay people. It is for everyone. And so he's like, I'm going. I'm out. I'm going to go tell them. Peter hears this message too with the sheet thing. Remember? I'm sure it wasn't like that. But, um, and, and it's almost like he was singing, excuse me, you guys know I can't sing, but who's going to stop the Lord Almighty, right? We sing that sometimes. And he says, I cannot stand in the way. I can't stand in the way of God. Peter was determined that he was saying, I am not going to stand in the way of God to allow everyone come to be part of community with God. But Peter was also not going to be part of the way either. That's the point. Before I was married, I had a full-out Marie Kondo purge out my house every year. I had, like, awesome, crazy, huge garage sales. Once a year, everyone knew it, had flyers, um, But when I got married, Mark was not the biggest fan of garage sales. He told me, hey, I'm not going to stand in your way of having your garage sale. You could get your garage sale on. But I'm also not going to be the way. (laughs) Which meant I'm not going to take care of the kids. I'm not going to help set set it up. I'm not going to tear it down. I'm not going to price things with you. He wasn't going to stand in the way of me having my garage sale, not sparking my joy. (laughs) But he was also not going to be the way. Have you guys ever had that experience? You were okay with someone else doing something, like a kid cleaning up their room, getting a handle, helping someone getting a handle on their spending getting healthier with food or exercise or relationships. So I'm, I'm not going to stand in your way, but I'm not going to be your way to do it. You can do it. Go for it. You got this. I think we do this with God, right? God, I ain't going to stand in your way to communicate your awesome goodness and forgiveness and wholeness and inclusion to the whole world. Go for it, God. You got this. God, you want to be about reconciliation, shalom, love, salvation, wholeness, healing, to all that has breath? God, you got this. I ain't going to stand in your way, and I'm not going to be part of the way either. The Christian life is not just about not standing in the way of God. The Christian life, the following Jesus life, the Jesus follower life is about being part of the way of God. Amen? So when Peter comes to Antioch, Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. Mark's friends and I used to joke and tease him that we knew that Mark was really serious when he used the word yo. <laughs> yo. We're like, oh, we got to listen up. You guys ever hear it in a sermon? Listen up. I feel like Paul is saying yo right now. 
Paul publicly and clearly calls out Peter on his hypocrisy for something that is essential to the faith, that is influencing and infiltrating and hurting the whole community of believers. When he first arrived, verse 12, he ate Peter, ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James, James, I don't know who your friends were, but this was not good. Peter then all of a sudden wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Peter was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Afraid of criticism. Have we ever felt that before? Have we ever felt that we are so fearful that we would be criticized that we kind of don't do the right thing that we know we ought to do? Peter got criticized the first time with the whole Cornelius thing. So what happened? Maybe, maybe the persecution was worse now. I don't know. Maybe the, per, the peer pressure was really bad. Do we give in to the peer pressure like Peter and we end up doing things that later we just despise ourselves for? Peter had been treating Gentiles like family and then all of a sudden started treating them like unclean, re-enslaved outsiders. A few, few years ago, I was at Midwinter, and um, there was, there's a, there's a big, uh, usually like conference hall um, kind of thing, and all the pastors, and there's worship and stuff. And you'd walk out, um, and there was some, um, some, some people just sitting outside with signs that says, um, I've been hurt. Ask me my story. Um, I, am, I am a gay Christian. And, and, and I sat and I watched all these pastors who preached the good news that the gospel is for everyone, just walking them, walking past. So then the next year, um, I saw, it wasn't a crowd, it was just one girl just holding a sign. And um, I remember there was a, like one of the high, high ups for um, the, um, for the, uh, what's it called? For the denomination that was there. Um, and he was talking to her. Um, and so I'm like, oh, you know, like, Dick Luco's here, he's like really high up in the denomination, he's talking to um, this gay Christian, and I'm going to go over too, and I'm just going to sit and listen and hear her story and love her and whatnot. Then all of a sudden, I saw um, a pastor who I hadn't seen in a long time walk by, and I was like, oh, hey, hi, and I was like trying to catch him, and he goes, get away, get away, I don't want to talk to you, and I was like, Hi, it's, hi, it's, it's Stephanie, hi. Says, I don't want to talk, get away from me, get away from me. And started screaming at me. And I was like, uh, it, it's Stephanie from, from West Hills in Portland, hi. Says, oh, it's you. I, I thought you were one of them. And I, I just stood there in shock and I said, You were going to talk to her like that? Um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what to say. And we began to do small talk and chit-chat. Um, 
and just kind of catch up, and I kind of had to like recalibrate my brain a little bit after kind of um, being treated that way, even though I, I wasn't being treated that way, but um, kind of feeling what the people were be, would have been felt like um, in that moment. Um, and then the next year, I saw the same person um, and ran out and said, hi, and he says, hi, how you doing? He goes, was that better this time? Um, I, think, I think that's the feeling that Paul had with Peter in that moment. I was like, what? what? Have, we, have we forgotten? Have we forgotten the basic truths of the gospel? Um, what are the rules that we're imposing on people that keep the truth of the gospel from being heard? Who, we who have been all equally, we who all are equal in the eyes of God, equally in the disgrace of sin, equal in the need of grace. Do we desire harsh, punitive punishment for other people's sin and forget the mercy that God's given for our own? The scripture says, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the message of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of everyone, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles Follow the Jewish traditions. John Wesley said, one of the chiefest of Christian virtues was the ability to avoid turning small things into great ones and great ones into small. Paul is majoring on the majors here. Paul comes in hot to the Galatians because he wanted to preserve the truth of the message of the gospel that people won't be enslaved or forced to follow Jewish regulations that they had just been freed from. You can run on red, you can drive on yellow. We may not feel like we're standing in the way of God's love reaching all people, but I pray that we also will be part of the way of making it happen. Oh, that was my garage sale picture. <laughs> Peter distinctly called to the Jews, um, and they thought, hey, the Gentile thing, that's Paul's thing. I don't have to be called to that. And that's true to an extent. We're not called to everything, right? Um, I'm thankful for Chris's ministry in Roma. So we're not all called to that, and I'm thankful for her. The inclusion and invitation for table fellowship is God's thing. It is the church's thing. It is for the believers. It's our thing. And we are challenged. We are challenged from this gospel to make a way, to be part of the way, so that all will come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Our own implicit biases, our socialization, our peer pressure make us both stand in the way of God and keeps us from being part of the way. 
gender, citizenship, race, class, abilities, mental health, sexuality, the list goes on and on. We all have implicit bias, right? I was listening to a video about implicit bias, and this guy says, I'm going to say a word, and you guys say a word back. Government. You say, corrupt. Corporate. Greedy. Subsidized housing. Poor. Suburbs. Boring. He's like, so now, if I get up and I tell you, I am from the government, I used to work in corporate, I used to live in subsidized housing, and now I live in the suburbs. We would all see through that lens, right? Did I also mention that he's a black man, right? Like, we all begin to see through these implicit bias lens, and it allows us sometimes to, to get in the way of God's way and also to not be part of God's way. Um, how can we not just stand in the way of God, but be part of the way. It takes listening and obeying the word of God and not the gods of the world. Can I say that again? It takes listening and obeying to the word of God and not the gods of this world. It takes intention to reach out to people not like you and be real friends. Not just, check, I have an Asian friend. Um, it takes dying to ourselves, our biases, our prejudices, our arrogance. It takes courage to really listen to people's stories and to humbly learn from them. It takes being filled with the Holy Spirit and the good fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It takes a whole lot of grace of God. And it takes a faithful community of Jesus followers to speak up, to speak truth against the peer pressure of the world and the peer pressure of even other Christians. Amen? I cannot do this Jesus thing by myself. The evil in this world and the sin in my heart is too great. I need to be in community that is going to be different from the darkness of the world. I need a courageous community that radiates grace and truth and light, even when it's uncomfortable and unnormal and unfamiliar, and even when it's unlike the Christian community of the world around us. Amen? So let the love of God and God's word and truth compel us, even when it looks different, even from the larger sea church. But may we be those people. Let's peer pressure the stink out of each other to follow Jesus and God's word clearly, faithfully, and full of grace and truth. Amen? I'm going to come up for... Um, let me pray as we prepare for communion. Jesus, um, God, we need you. We confess that we, like Peter, get it and forget it. 
And we are reminded that our, our Paul stories, how far, far, far we were from you, and sometimes maybe even still are, how desperately we need your mercy and grace. So God, remind us again of your marvelous grace, the truth of the gospel that sets us free from all the rules and regulations. And may we not be enslaved again, nor enslave others. May we be a light on a hill for your glory and for your name.